today we have a one of our teaching team who's going to be sharing with us, Peter Evis. And when Peter isn't reporting for the New York Times or spending time with his family, one thing I appreciate the appreciate about Peter is he's an amazing photographer, and I personally have really enjoyed photos that he's taken. So please welcome Peter Evis. I feel like I should hug Sarah for the, <laughs> noticing my photos. Thank you so much for noticing my photos. Um, Thank you um, for coming out on this uh, rainy day. I, I don't feel at all bad about dragging you out here because I was up at 5.30 to play soccer in a very important game this morning, which we won 3-2. Um, I, don't, I don't normally play uh, football before um, giving a talk, but this is a big tournament we have going on right now, and so I... You know, you know, I'm going to be talking about straddling two worlds. I love the river, but I also love my geezers. And so, like, uh, there's a kind of a divided loyalty, but it looks like, you know, I kind of got, you know, we'll see which one I did better for you guys or, you know, like, you know, we did win, so I have to win here as well, right? You know, by, by, by a big margin, I hope. But the problem is, the only problem is I haven't really been able to sit down. I sat down on the way here, and then I just was like, as I stood up, all this pain, like, came into my leg. So um, I'm not going to be sitting down probably for the rest of today. Um, we have a board meeting later, so if I stand up during the board meeting, is that, is that okay, Charles? Yeah. yeah, okay, all right, okay. So I'm really um, glad to be here, and, uh, and in the middle of this wonderful sermon series called How Can Faith Make Life Better, we here at the River are very much about testing faith to see whether or not it can actually uh, work in very difficult situations, situations that don't sort of normally yield to kind of simplistic religious things. We try and sort of craft a faith here or give pointers to a faith that kind of would fit with the sort of lives that we live here in, in New York. And I think that really that, that is the ultimate taste of a, a test of a faith in Jesus. And because, you know, often life does not go quite where we, we expect. We um, we, we may end up in situations where uh, we don't feel like we really fit. Um, and those situations, uh, those aspects of our life can last for a very long time. Uh, for instance, you might have been in New York for a few years, but like you've never really felt like this place is, you know, the sort of place that you really wanted to live. And yet you're here because, you know, your job's here or something. And uh, and yet you'd maybe like live nearer the mountains or something or nearer your family. And so, you know, there's a sense of like life not quite fitting. Maybe um, it, it could be your job. I mean, this is a very common one. It, you might have um, left college. You stumbled into something. Um, you're a hard worker. You know, you got noticed. You sort of climbed the ladder a bit. You started getting pretty well paid. Um, uh, and you've ended up doing this job most of your life. And, you know, you've advanced. But it's not something that you necessarily really wanted to do. And, you know, as you're getting into sort of middle age like me, um, you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, I feel a certain discontent. This is not the thing I really, um, you know, really ultimately wanted to do. And perhaps life feels like it's lost some of its promise. And do you start to ask questions like, well, what did happen to all those things I wanted to do? I mean, this, this, this sort of probably kind of goes in waves, you know, because if you're, you know, you're probably making some money and, um, you know, and the success and personal re recognition. And yet, you know, some days there is this feeling that this very demanding job um, isn't really the thing that you wanted. 
and you're sort of mixed up as well because you sort of feel guilty because, you know, a job is a blessing. It's good to have work. It's good to have money coming in. Um, but, but even when you put that sort of good face on it, you, you kind of feel like, well, this doesn't really fit, you know? And, you know, family can be like that. Family life can, can not feel like a good fit sometimes. You, you know, I remember when, you know, you have a baby, you have a, you know, and the first couple of months are really kind of like amazing because you got the euphoria of having this child. You kind of carries you through the exhaustion, but, you know, it gets to like nine months and, and he or she has maybe slept through the night once or twice. You know, you remember those days like they were amazing. Um, and <laughs> as, you, as your sleeplessness builds up, you're starting to feel disoriented, dislocated. You're starting to doubt yourself that you're even up for this family thing. Um, and I remember having been there. I remember like pleading, getting on my knees and weeping as I pled to my children, just go to sleep, you know, like, I, I was just begging at the side of their cribs, and uh, of course, you know, it, it didn't work, um, but um, now, now it's so funny, because around me at work, there's lots of my colleagues, um, you know, have to come to work, you know, without having slept most of the night, um, and they're at their wit's end, they're like, I don't know if I'm going to get through the week, and so I go out to coffee uh, with them, and like, you know, I tell them it, it probably will change in a few years, you know, but... Um, <laughs> And, you know, and, um, and which is like, I don't think our kids slept through the night until they were like eight. Is that right, honey, or something? No, I don't know. <laughs> and, um, and heaven help you if you have like more than one child below the age of four. I know some of you are going to come into that zone soon, so I just want to make you feel really good about it. Um, and, um, you know, you'll d definitely feel out of your depth. Um, and I was thinking of that as I was reading um, this, this book by Carl Ove Nausgaard. He's a Norwegian writer. He writes with terrific honesty about his life, probably too much honesty. So if you read his books, you know, be careful. There's a lot in there. Anyway, here he is writing about a period in his life when he and his wife Linda are struggling to raise a young family. I wanted to read from it a bit, okay? He says, both Linda and I live on the brink of chaos or with the feeling of chaos. Everything can fall apart at any moment. And we have to force ourselves to come to terms with the demands of life with small children. Uh, we do not plan. Having to shop for dinner comes as a surprise every day. Likewise, having to pay bills at the end of every month, had it not been for some sporadic payments being made into my account, such as rights, fees, book club sales, or a minor amount from school book publications, or as this autumn, the second installment of some foreign income, I had forgotten, things would have gone seriously wrong. However, this constant improvisation increases the significance of the moment, which, of course, then becomes extremely eventful since nothing about it is automatic. And if our lives feel good, which naturally they do at times, there is a great sense of togetherness and correspondingly intense happiness. Oh, how we beam. All the children are full of life and are, are instinctively drawn to happiness. So that gives you extra energy and you are nice to them and they forget their defiance or anger in seconds. The corrosive part, of course, is the awareness that being nice to them is not of the slightest help when I am in the thick of it, dragged down into a quagmire of tears and frustration. And once in the quagmire, each further action serves only to plunge me deeper. And at least as corrosive is the awareness that I'm dealing with children. That is children who are dragging me down. 
There is something deeply shameful about this. In such situations, I am probably as far from the person I aspire to be, aspire to be as possible. I didn't have the faintest notion about any of this before I had children. I thought then that everything would be fine as long as I was kind to them. And that is actually more or less how it is. But nothing I had previously experienced warned me about the invasion into your life that having children entails. The immense intimacy you have with them. The way in which your temperament and mood are, so to speak, woven into theirs such that your own worst sides are no longer something you can keep to yourself hidden but seem to take shape outside you and are then hurled back. <laughs> I wonder if that speaks to anybody here. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I felt many of these things like, you know, about New York, about work, about family life. And, and, and the sense that, like, this life you have, you know, doesn't quite fit, you're not quite up to it, um, you know, is not for you, uh, can over time stir up a certain sense of discontent and disorientation. And that can bleed into our relationships, and that sense of negativity can even stop us doing some of the things that we might need to do to bring about change in our life so we can get out of the quagmire, right? And so I wanted to look today at how faith can help, okay? How, 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 how faith makes life better in situations like that. That's what we've been asking for several weeks now, and we've had some great contributions uh, uh, along that line. Um, and so, I mean, what I want to be able to show is that life in Jesus, knowing Jesus, can help us thrive even when we feel ill-qualified for a certain thing, whether it's to be a parent or, you know, a, you know in a job that we have um, that isn't particularly fulfilling. Um, I think that we can get to a place where, where our faith in Jesus can help us thrive, okay? And... <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> diving, diving into this, I think, will really show us, like, how great this sort of life that Jesus promises, you know, the 110% life, the one that's filled with meaning, okay? So let's set up our framework for how God does this, and I wanted to get some scriptures to, together to do this. And um, the Bible passages we're going to look at say different things about where we belong, where our home is, and how we can best respond when we don't feel at home. And what I noticed as I was reading these passages is that faith in Jesus assumes a life of not quite fitting in, okay? There is, a, there is you know, as we look at these scriptures, what you'll see is that it's very much part um, of knowing Jesus that we won't fit in completely. And, and, and that's a great starting place, okay? Um, what we're going to see is that Jesus describes a sort of dual existence, uh, that involves like living in two worlds. And that might stretch us at times. But as we'll see, there's an enormous opportunity in this dual track life. And it offers us this unique chance to live the 110% life and extend it to others. And Jesus really does say all that. That's why I'm excited about seeing this. Okay, So let's go to scripture number one. Um, this establishes the, the, the first important point I want to make today. Um, God offers faith in him as a sort of eternal home, okay? Knowing Jesus, living in a vibrant relationship with him, drawing on his strength, opening ourselves up to his love, being vulnerable in his presence, all of that roots us deeply in a place where there is peace and acceptance without limit. You know, Sarah touched on this very nicely last week. Um, and what, it, what, what we're talking about here is, is a home um, that we can always go home to, okay? And that is mapped out by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, 
where he describes this household that has Jesus as, as its cornerstone. So here we are in Ephesians 2. His, that's Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. What an amazing image that is. And, and so Paul is telling us that we're, we're members of this household. Um, but what's interesting is that we cannot, Jesus tells us, we cannot live just there, okay? God won't let us. You know, Jesus talked about um, uh, his followers still having to live in the world. And what he meant by that is that we're supposed to be in proximity to everything that's going on around us. You know, and much of what happens in the world, <clears throat> you know, doesn't some, you know, doesn't gel, doesn't isn't consistent with what's going on in Jesus's household. But even so, Jesus says we still have to engage with it, the world and its ways. We aren't going to be lifted out of the world. Um, and Jesus says this in John's Gospel when he's talking to his father about what what awaits the disciples. <clears throat> he says this: My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So we may be citizens. We are citizens of um, Jesus' household, but we also live day to day in this thing that Jesus calls the world. And so the question becomes right now is why is Jesus calling us to lead this dual life? You know, it, it can be confusing. It, and this actually trying to live this, you know, this existence where we have one foot over here and one here can feel ill-fitting um, in itself. You know, we may pick up, we, know, we, we may go into the world and practice uh, some of the things that we learned from knowing Jesus in his household, like maybe a, a willingness to um, to listen carefully to people we don't agree with. That's a nice quality. Charles talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, and yet tolerance for that. People might not meet us at that place, and um, especially in this sort of toxic age in which we live. And so we might feel there's a clash there. Um, and that clash might make, you know, kind of our lives feel our lives feel kind of ill-fitting. But like I said, Jesus intends for that. And I think he intends for that because it creates a unique opportunity, and he describes that opportunity here in this passage from Matthew's Gospel. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this sets up our framework for today, okay? So we have the home, which is like the, you know, Jesus' household. And then these are emojis. I got these from the emoji, you know, like these are the iPhone emojis. If you're like, you know, a Google phone person, then, you know, Sorry. Um, so, 
Um, and then we have the world. And then we're supposed to be in the world. And then we're supposed to be the light of the world when we're in the world. Okay? So, um, do you get it? Yeah? That's some slight action. I'm looking at Don for approval. No? Yeah, he's a graphic, you know, like a design guy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, why, why does this work? How can this work? And I think that, like, um, this at a very basic level sets up uh, a platform for, 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 for us that really works. And, and at a very base level, I think it comes down to honesty, identity, and freedom, okay, if we do this. So let's, you know, often we, we sort of feel an, a kind of an obligation to like certain things because, you know, people say we should like them. But these things may not fit well with, with who they are, who we are. We might just not be good at them. And so, like, we're wondering, like, you know, am I even up to this? But, but, but what if we approached a situation like that differently, okay? If you, if you remember, like, Jesus's, you know, faith in Jesus assumes that certain things will not fit, okay? That's one of the basic assumptions. And, and that's kind of liberating because what that does is it creates this space, right, uh, to think about what really matters, what the good things are at hand, what we're really trying to get to. So if life no longer starts out as a, as a, as a sort of like quest for conformity, for like, you know, being able to like meet every goal, um, it becomes something where we listen to what we really want. We, we listen to God about what he wants, and then we work together to find ways forward. And the whole dynamic of life can change when the starting point is not just like, I need to be like this, okay? So, so for instance, like, let's take a situation where you might feel guilty about liking Mondays because you get to go to work and have a nice stretch of time away from your kids, right? I mean, like, a lot of people feel that, okay? And, um, and so, you know, in the acceptance we have with Jesus, we can take that feeling to him and talk about it. I don't know what the outcome of that conversation will be. He might be like, well, that's fine. He may not. I don't know. Um, but the important thing is, is you can actually have that conversation. The space is there because you haven't closed things down by saying, well, if you're not a good parent, if you really want to be away from your children, you know, like if you don't have that voice going on in your head, you can find ways to move forward. And in that conversation, God will not judge you. Okay. It's a conversation. And this also happens in our workplaces. You know, our jobs demand so much of us, um, and we find ourselves conforming to them. You know, I come home with the snark of the newsroom in my, in my you know, in my hair. Well, whatever I have up there. And, um, and you know, I feel it, you know. Um, and b but because jobs are so demanding and they take up so much of our time, you, you do conform, but at the same time, that if that doesn't gel with the person you want to be, there's this sort of internal dissonance and frustration, even ultimately some self-loathing. Um, but, but remember, Jesus' approach is that we're not of the world, which means we don't ever totally belong to our job, right? It's just not, it's like, that's not something that he would ever want, and we don't ever have to do that. And once we kind of see that and create some distance from our jobs, 
we have much more freedom to exercise um, to, to become the person that we want to be, right? Is, you understanding how this can work, this framework can work? Okay, so we're going to move on to practical suggestions now to look more specifically at how uh, Jesus' dual citizenship framework can, can work, okay? So uh, one of the things that can happen is that uh, when life doesn't fit well, we can get sort of crotchety and resentful, and we even start to sort of, you know, take those little frictions, those little disputes we have, and we blow them up in our mind, and they become too big. Um, and uh, before long, you know, we can't stop thinking about these situations where, you know, we simply disagree with somebody. You know, these these these, these can loom too large in our heads. And um, and it, it's interesting how how we kind of have to nip that in the bud, okay? And how we have to avoid. Uh, faith uh, becoming something that kind of plays into that, you know, because um, last weekend before church, I was was sort of like, you know, watched a little bit of a sermon that the, a preacher was giving on TV. And this guy is kind of considered to be an upbeat kind of preacher. Um, there doesn't seem to be much anger in his sermons, or at least I thought there wasn't. But as I sat there and, and listened, I, I picked up on this constant theme, this button he kept pressing because he wanted to press it. And he kept using phrases like this. People may have overlooked you. People may think you can't do this. Here's a guy who was told he wouldn't be able to do anything but. You know, and there were lots and lots of phrases like that. And if it had been like once or twice, it would be like, okay, it's fine. Uh, but what I was, realized he was doing is he was subtly stirring up this sense of indignation. You know, you're the one people have ignored. He's kind of winking at them in that way. And it reminded me of something that scholars have said over the years, that religious user, leaders have often used resentment. Um, as a way of luring people into their churches. I mean, you can see it across, you know, uh, different, I can give you the references you want. And, and this very much is part of an ill-fitting life if we, if we don't watch it. You know, we, we, we find ourselves in situations where there's friction, and then we sort of smolder, and we convince ourselves that others have overlooked us. And look, I'm telling you, I do that. Maybe like once a month I feel like that, because I feel like an editor didn't see what I did, you know, that sort of thing. And... But, but what I'm realizing is that we never want to use resentment as a motivator, okay? It's really toxic, okay? Resentment assumes this sort of like black and white view of the world, a kind of us versus them construct, and it's not a good foundation for sorting things out. And so this is my first practical suggestion. Practice engagement over hostility, right? So if I were to write that preacher's sermon, you know... Um, <laughs> I'd probably say something like this. Look, first of all, be really careful of any voice that constantly says you're being overlooked or mistreated, okay? It may be true. The situation may be real. But don't let that thought become ingrained as a pattern in your mind, okay? And, and perhaps here's what you do instead. You know, step back, be honest, look in the mirror, talk to God, and ask him if you're part of the problem. You know, are you delivering what people are right to expect of you? You know, are you the one bringing the unhealthy dynamics into the situation? Have you mistreated others too? Is your anger really about other things, okay? And these sort of like honest conversations can take place with Jesus because he offers us that acceptance in when we become part of his household. We're, we're safe to do that. We're not going to get punished for it, okay? 
And, and when, when we've had that chat, I think, I'd think about engaging with whoever seems to be the problem. And we should engage constructively in a kind of listening manner. We can suggest alternatives to, you know, to, as, as, as solutions to whatever problem might be at hand. And we, we can sort of breathe the one that brings those kind of constructive suggestions. So we should engage, engage, engage. And so much of faith in Jesus is about engagement. You know, in our passage from John's gospel, Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, okay? These are not battle orders, okay? It's not about taking ground and conquering. These are engagement orders from Jesus there. It's about hanging out with people. It's about listening. It's about getting to know them. It's about being friends. It's about turning the other cheek. It's about speaking out respect. Respectfully, okay? That's engagement, right? You know, when we're being sent into the world, we're being sent to engage. Now, just a quick caveat. Nothing I'm saying here is uh, should ever lead you to think that we should just accept mistreatment or the status quo. You know, if, if you're being mistreated, then you should absolutely speak up, of course. Um, um, and if a job doesn't fit well, you know, definitely look around for another. But if that's not successful, you'll need to find a way to thrive in the one that you have. That's just reality, right? You, it's, it's hard to switch, you know. Um, and so, um, you know, and then we'll have to find ways to sort of like, you know, enjoy and, and do well in that situation where we're feeling frustrated. And so that's my second practical suggestion. Have salty goals, okay? Um, it sounds sort of disgusting, right? <laughs> I wouldn't want to serve a, anyone any salty goals, but that's what I'm doing. Um, but let's look again at what Jesus said. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And I think the phrasing of that first sentence is really interesting. He, he just says, you are the salt of the earth. He's not saying um, you will be the salt of the earth once the Holy Spirit's had time to really work on you. Uh, he's not like saying you're becoming the salt of the earth once you spend lots of time in church. You know, like um, he's saying you are the salt of the earth, right? And so we should try and like work out what, what being salty means, okay? I know there's one meaning, but like the, let's, 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 put, let's find the meaning for this context today, okay? And this is how I would describe salty, okay? Um, it means that our presence in other people's lives should allow them to better taste the goodness in the world and the goodness of God, right? You know, just as salt brings out the flavors in food that we want to taste more fully, we as followers of Jesus should be people who bring out the goodness that is around us and the goodness that comes from God, okay? Now, some of that will come from our characters, but it'll also come from how we act in certain situations. But um, like I said, Jesus has outright given us that saltiness. That's our identity as people who belong in his household, okay? We've got that. He also says it can be diluted, okay? And the salt can lose its saltiness. And of course, that doesn't sound great because it leads to trampling. I don't know who wants to be trampled, um, but <laughs> I can't imagine trampling is good. Um, um, but again, it's easy to lose that saltiness when we're kind of feeling like we have a job that's like 
draining us and we don't really like it um, or in the midst of some serious like when your children have got you under siege um, um, we may not feel like you know we can be the person who brings goodness into focus and and so what can we do and I would say like just set yourself a couple of salty goals okay these are sort of things that we can focus on just really simple things for the long term so that when we're feeling like bombarded and life's too much we can remember oh yeah that's my salty goal and one of them I think you know I try and do is I'm trying to be an affirmer in the office okay I try to notice other people's work and praise it and I think that's super salty because it brings their goodness into focus, okay? That's a super salty thing you could do. I think another one is to be a peacemaker, okay? If, you know, be the person who's quick to sit down and suggest ways forward. Um, you know, be your own advocate, but also listen. And if you bring that sort of goodness into focus, I think people will notice. Um, now, what about young kids? Um, I don't know what salty goal to suggest here okay because they'll have no time for whatever thing you're trying to do okay they, they they simply will just ignore you okay you can try anything with small children and it won't help the tantrums will continue um you know the demands will never cease the fighting with each other will just go on and on and on um that i'm so i'm being kind of like you know honest with you like you can do whatever you like and it probably won't work but if um <laughs> but if i if i may sneak in one salty goal um for for child rearing and with the huge caveat that it may never work um be a cheerful parent okay i'm not saying that we can never be down that we have to wear this stupid mask of fake happiness or anything like that we don't have to be like sound of music all day um but what i'm saying is that you know if frequently, not always, the kids see you enjoying something, you know, enjoying them, enjoying your food, enjoying some of the tasks you have, uh, it, it may sort of rub off a bit, you know, you know, because kids are strange. They notice nothing, but they also notice everything, right? They don't want to listen to anything um, you have to say, but they will pick up everything. Kind of, they're the weird beings that like have this strange kind of way of communicating. And so maybe over time, if we sort of inject that we're like, you know, show that we kind of like doing this, um, maybe, I don't know, okay. <laughs> and because, you know, practical suggestions sometimes don't work, you know, life is too messy, the forces of the world are very, very strong, I, I wanted to finish up today by offering a catch-all prescription um, uh, as a kind of insurance, as a backstop, okay? And that is receive special things from the Holy Spirit, okay? I, I love this very simple line in our passage from Ephesians. It says, for through him we both have access to the Father by a one spirit, okay? So what that's telling us is that through Jesus we have access to God by the Holy Spirit, okay? He, he's the one that provides that wonderful two-way connection with God, um, and that allows those conversations that I've been referencing to today to take place and he inspires us to have them and sort of, you know, affirms us and, you know, is very much a motivator in that sense. Um, but the Holy Spirit can do something else. And I wanted to end up talking about that. Um, the Holy Spirit can change things that seem unchangeable. Okay. He can actually uh, take an 
a part of our life that feels like it doesn't fit, and he can sort of make it feel like it fits, or he can move us out of that place that doesn't fit. And he can do that in a miraculous way, okay? I'm talking about the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And I think that one of the things that we can forget about with faith is that God constantly offers to do the impossible, okay? You know, even though, you know, that sounds attractive, you'd be like, who wouldn't say like, yeah, I would love to pray for a miracle, you know, of course I'd do that. We may not actually find ourselves doing it that much because it's safer to, you know, try and do things on our own, it feels. You know, if we try and change things by our own actions, you know, we feel this sense of agency and it's more predictable and we're more less likely to be disappointed if something doesn't happen. Um, and so maybe we, we forget or we don't fully lean into this idea that God can do the miraculous. And so my appeal to you guys today is that we should be asking, even today, for God to do something really big in our lives if we need him to. We should be constantly asking him to do special things, miraculous things. And he can make the, the ill-fitting life fit a lot better. He can change the things that don't fit or move, this, move us out of them. Um, you know, everything I've said up until now is about thriving within them, but we should never sort of like forget that he can often move things forward in a very powerful way where there's some sort of very big changes also. And that's how I wanted to finish up today. I wanted to uh, just give you like, you know, a minute to think about one big thing in your life that you'd like to see changed. And then silently, you can just pray to God uh, to do that. And then, um, and then I'll quickly pray to, to finish up. Okay, so just take a minute now. Okay. So Jesus, thank you um, so much for being with us in our lives for being the one who understands us, for giving us a home. And I also want to thank you for giving us the opportunities that we have by, you know, putting us in the world. Those are exhilarating, and, and it's great to be salt and light in those situations when we can. So I pray for two things now, that you would, you know, send us out tomorrow, and we would be salt and light wherever we are, and we would enjoy that. There would be such fun in that. We would, we would, we would feel inspired and, and we would feel like we're living life to the full when we're salty and full of light. But also, Lord, I wanted to pray that if like, we feel completely stuck and something big needs to change, I pray also that you, know, you would move heaven and earth now, Jesus, to bring about those changes that people have identified. Do that now, Holy Spirit, I pray. Set that in motion. It's in your name, Jesus, that we ask this. Amen.